Welcome back, church family. It is so good to have you joining us today. My name is Lockie, and I'm a member of the pastoral team here at Gold Coast Central Church. If you've joined us for the very first time, I want to extend a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you've come. If you want to let us know in the comments here, we've got one of the members of our guest services team who'd love to just interact with you, welcome you guys, and help you through today's service if you have any questions at all. If you are joining us today for the first time or you're returning, then you've picked a great day to join because today we're continuing the third week of our series, which is called It's a Party. In this series, we're unpacking a theme which is weaved throughout the whole biblical story. It's the theme of generosity. It's a theme that is just poured into the creation account with so much generosity language and language about the overabundant love of God. And as we read throughout the narrative of Scripture, we see it through the lens of generosity, and it, and it really changes the way that we look at it. In the first week, we unpacked the way that Jesus wants his followers to interact with the world around them by seeing the world through the lens of generosity, meaning that there really is enough to go around. It's grounded in a belief that God is a generous God, and it means that we can look at the world through a different lens, that we don't have to try and hustle and fight to make sure that we can provide for our needs, but we have a faith that says that God will be faithful to provide for our needs. And then last week, we talked about how this belief and how this worldview is grounded in the truth that God is a God of love, and that love is displayed in his generosity towards us. And we've been using this illustration of a party to kind of unpack further how this plays out in our daily life. And so I want to let you in on that if you haven't been a part of the, the series so far. And what I want you to do is to imagine that you've been invited to the most amazing party ever. As you walk in, you see just incredible decorations everywhere. The, 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 the wealth and the opulence of the host are on display for all to see. As you continue to walk in, you start hearing this beautiful music coming in the distance. You, you, you smell these aromas of the food that's to come and you just get really excited because it seems like this is the best party ever. And then as you walk in, you start to see people um, of significance, people that have done incredible things and made a big difference in the world around them. And then finally, you see the host themselves and they come up to you, give you a massive hug and say, hey, it is so good to have you here. I'm so excited that you've decided to come. Hey, I just want you to enjoy my generosity. Don't worry about you know, trying to give me any gifts or anything. Just come, embrace it, and enjoy the party. And that is the way that Jesus sees creation. And that guest is the way that he sees us, with God as that host. But unfortunately, as the first course of food starts coming out, someone starts going around and saying, hey, I don't think there's enough food to go around. I don't think the host is who he says he is. You better start hoarding for yourself what you can so that if, it, if I'm right, that you'll be able to, to feed yourself. And a small group of people start working together in this and they end up hoarding up all the hors d'oeuvres and they, they, they hoard them up in a room and they get to experience all the good stuff. But the selfishness of the few is at the expense of the many. Now the, the next course hasn't even come out yet. And they had an untrue understanding of who the host is. But because of their selfishness, they were preventing the rest of the party from experiencing that as well. And the rest of the party started to think, well, maybe, maybe the host isn't generous. Maybe these people were right. And so they start to, to steal stuff. They start to grab stuff off the walls and, and the party spills out onto the street and it becomes a bit of a chaotic mess. And today we're going to look at the way that Jesus addresses these misunderstandings of who he is. 
the way that he addresses when people are selfish and they take rather than allowing him to provide for their needs and then for him to provide for everyone. And, Jesus, and, and God does that by starting with one. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity we have to come together, to dive into your word, to learn about you. I pray you will speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we're going to turn to chapter 12. Now in Genesis chapter 12, we're at a point in history where it's been some time since the fall of humanity. There's been several generations passing through, and unfortunately, humanity have continued on this cycle of distrusting who God is. They've continued down this, this path of, of trying to take for themselves what they need at the expense of other people. And God wants to address the injustices and the seeming insufficiencies in the world around them. And he starts by choosing one man that would become one family and one nation. That man is Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, we read a conversation that God has with Abram. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your nation, your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of earth will be blessed through you. Now this seems like a pretty incredible promise for Abram to receive. But we have to acknowledge that it seems like his reception of God's favor and God's generosity is completely dependent on his obedience. And if we take that stance towards this passage, it leads us down a dangerous path of presuming that God's faithfulness to us is dependent on our faithfulness to him. It leads us down a path of assuming that you know, the favor and the generosity of God that we get to experience is dependent on our obedience. But that's not the full story here. Because God's initial intention was to bestow generosity and humanity. And when they distrusted who he is as a God of love, they distorted their understanding of who he is and went down a path of selfishness. And so we come to a point where humanity has such a misunderstanding of who God is that all he needs is a little bit of faithfulness to him to, to pour out generosity on this person that it might be a beacon to the, to, the, to, the fail, to the flailing world around him. That Abram might be a beacon of hope and of light to the world around. That, 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 that God would be able to pour out his favor and generosity on this one man, on this one family, and that through him and through his descendants, God might be able to return the world to a proper understanding of who he is. That through what would become the nation of Israel, God would be able to pour out favor and generosity on the world. You see, Israel is designed to be an open door to the world around them, an open door of God's generosity. It's like in that party we talked about before, that as people start stealing stuff from the host and, and escaping and trying to just get out of there, the host grabs one person and says, hey, look, these, these people have no idea who I actually am. That They're completely misinterpreting what's going on here. Come with me. I want to show you how generous I am and how good I am. 
And so he pulls this person aside and, and gets all his, his butlers out. They serve him an incredible meal. He gets to experience the generosity of the host. The host just gives him his complete attention. And this man learns that the host really isn't who these liars said that he was, that the host really is good, that the host really is generous. And then the host says to him, he says, hey, can you just go out and tell people about what you've experienced? And this is kind of what's happening here. It is that God chooses to bless Abram, but it's not at the expense of the rest of the world. God chooses to bless Abram so that he can bless the world through Abram and through his descendants. Abram is blessed to be a blessing to others. And we're naturally probably led to think that, well, maybe there's something special about Abram that allows God to choose him. Maybe it's because Abram you know, is a great speaker and will be able to communicate really well to, to the world around you know, who this God is. Maybe it's because Abram already has a lot of good stuff and God can use that and multiply it and make it bigger and better and, and more amazing. And we sometimes think the same about ourselves, right? We sometimes think that God's ability to use us is dependent on, on what we can give to God. That, that, that God's ability to, to use you is dependent on how much you can give to him. And it leads us down a path of thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm not good enough to be used by God. You know, what's the point in me being generous or, or giving to people if what I can give isn't going to make a significant difference in their life? What's the point in me, you know, trying to, to do a nice thing or give my time to someone if it's not going to make that much of an impact? Maybe there's a reason God chose Abram. But we read about God's motivation a few books over. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's four books later. Deuteronomy chapter 7 here, a man named Moses who has led the nation of Israel for some time. He's giving a speech to Israel about their journey, about their journey as a nation. And in verse 7 of chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, Moses says this to Israel. He says, The Lord did not set his heart on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Israel didn't have worthiness because of its size to be chosen by God. In fact, when God spoke to Abram at this, in that passage we just talked about in Genesis 12, Abram didn't even have a son. That was like the biggest insult from God because he didn't have an heir to carry on his name and his family. Abram didn't even have a son. God did not choose Abram because of his worthiness to be chosen. And God did not pour out favor on Abram because of his worthiness or his obedience. No, God poured out favor on Abram and on his descendants because of his love. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, it says, Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from slavery, from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. No, the reason God wants to pour out his love and generosity on Abram and his descendants, Israel, is that he loves them. And this love, we might be tempted to think, is at the expense of other people. But as we've already discussed, the love that God has for Abram is the same love that he has to the world. But he uses this experiment, the Abraham experiment, to try and pour out his love onto the rest of the world. He uses Abram and his family to be the vehicles of blessing to the world around them. Just like that host, after this person has experienced his generosity, sends him out and says, hey, can you go tell people about how generous I am? 
And, and as, the, as, the, as that person goes out and starts to share about the host, starts to share the good things that he's given him and the good things that he's experienced, he starts convincing people and they think, oh, well, well maybe, maybe the host isn't untrustworthy. Maybe they are actually generous. You know, we did see it was an incredibly beautiful party when we came in. Maybe, maybe we were wrong. And slowly but surely, people start going back in to the party. And they start to experience the generosity of God. They start to experience the generosity of the host. And this is what God's trying to do through Israel. And we see it successfully on a couple of occasions. There's a woman named Rahab who lives in Jericho. She's not a national Israelite. She's not a part of their family. She's not a descendant of Abram. But she helps two Israelites that come into, into her city. And she is spared when that city is destroyed and welcomed into the nation of Israel. One of those two people, two Israelites that Rahab helps, his name is Caleb. And there's evidence to suggest that he was from outside of the nation of Israel and then welcomed into the clan of Judah. He became a part of Israel and he was able to experience the generosity of God. In, elsewhere in the biblical story, we see a, a girl named Ruth. Now, Ruth is one of the most faithful people we see in the whole of Scripture. And, and, and because of her faithfulness to, to her mother-in-law, she ends up marrying an Israelite man and is welcomed in to the, to the, to the nation of Israel. So much so that she is one of the only women recorded in the lineage of Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel exists to be an open door to the world around them. To be the vehicle through which God would be a blessing to the entire world. And God's faithfulness and love towards Israel existed before they were his chosen people and continued faithfully even though they would be unfaithful to him. And it's the same love that, in, that, that leads God to, to reach out his hand to you and to me today. And you might be asking that question, well, what on earth does this, does this idea of national Israel being a vehicle of blessing to the world around them have to me today? Like, what, what relevance does that have? How is it relevant? And it's super relevant because if you've decided to follow Jesus, or if you're considering deciding to follow Jesus, you have to understand what it means to be his follower, what it means to make God your God. And the church that we're a part of today was birthed out of national Israel. And to understand the church in the New Testament of the Bible, the, the, the church after Jesus, the followers of Jesus, to understand how that was to exist and function, we need to be informed by the way God interacted with his people in the Old Testament. And so I want to turn to one final passage that we're going to look at today. And it's in the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, the book of 2 Corinthians was written by a man named Paul. Paul was, was an apostle. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a teacher. He was a church planter. And he wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote two letters that are recorded in the Bible. The book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, we read this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Other translations will say a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. God doesn't want to make you different. He doesn't want to change you. He doesn't want to transform you. No, God wants to make you new. 
God wants to give you a newness of life when you follow Christ Jesus. Part of that newness of life involves seeing the world differently and being in the world differently. It involves what we talked about in the first week, seeing the world through the lens of generosity, a belief that is grounded in the truth that there truly is enough to go around. That God is a generous God. And a new way of being in the world. It means that we interact with situations differently. When we see suffering and poverty, we don't blame God for it, but we see it as our mandate to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to help those people, to meet those needs, to express generosity to them. When you follow Jesus and he makes you new, you see the world differently and you be in the world differently. Let's keep reading that passage. Verse 18 says, And all this is a gift. A gift. Again, we see that generosity language here. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. That's a really powerful passage. I don't want you to miss that. God brought us back to himself through Christ. It's not our faithfulness or our faith or our obedience to God that brings us to him. No, no. God has brought us to himself. God, through Christ, has brought the world to himself. He is bringing the world to himself. In the same way that God took the initiative to reach out to Abram, through Christ Jesus, God takes the initiative to reach out to the whole world. God is reaching out to you through Christ. It says in the end of verse 18 there, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him, us being the followers of Jesus, reconciling being a term that means to return something towards, to turn one's face towards. The task given to the followers of Jesus is to turn the face of those who misunderstand God, who don't know God, to a true understanding of who he is. We are given the task of reconciling people to God. But remember that it is God who does that reconciling work. So we don't have the responsibility to do it all by our own strength. But it's a responsibility to welcome Jesus into our heart and to allow Jesus to work in us and through us. To, to reconcile people to God through us. That same vehicle of blessing idea that we have in Israel is the same thing we have here in 2 Corinthians. That God wants to work in our lives and through our lives to reach other people. It says again in verse 19, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through you. God is making his appeal through me. We speak to Christ. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And so as a follower of Jesus, I stand before you today and I plead this. Come back to God. Don't, don't come back to a misunderstanding of God. Come back to a, to a true understanding of who God is. A true understanding that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is generous. You know, G Jesus promises that God will provide for your needs. That means that you don't have to, to stress and worry and doubt that God will provide. But when you claim God's word, you have faith in God. He is going to provide for your needs. If you doubt that, look to the stories of the Bible and see the way that God faithfully provides for those who follow him. And it's not because of their faithfulness. It's because of who he is. He is a generous God. He is a God of love. He is a God that has favor and blessing to pour out on everyone. 
and we address that question of, well, if God really is good and God really is faithful to provide, why does it sometimes seem like there isn't enough to go around? You know, God is making his appeal to us. He's making his appeal through us. And when we see the world differently, we be in the world differently, meaning that God's answer to the injustices and the poverty in the world around is you, is me. In the Old Testament, his answer to injustice, his answer to insufficiency, his answer to poverty is to bless a nation so much that they might be able to alleviate some of that wherever they find themselves. God welcomes us into this journey as well. As his followers, as followers of Jesus, he invites us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To meet the needs that we see in the world around us and to do it with an attitude of generosity. But again, I make that appeal to you. Come back to God. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered, what sins you might have committed, what doubts you might have had, what fears you might have allowed to overtake your life, what misunderstandings of God you have. You're never too far gone. And we read Ryan in the very next verse. Verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, to be the offering for your sin, for my sin, so that we might be made right with God through Christ Jesus. That means you and I can have a restored relationship with God, with our Creator, with this generous God. Because of the obedience of Christ to pay the price for our sins. Hanging on the cross, Christ was the gospel, the good news. Because he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin, meaning that we can not only have a salvation and eternal life with God, but today, in the very midst of this really troubling season that we're going through, we can experience peace, joy, hope, satisfaction, purpose, abundance. We can experience that today. We can experience the generosity of the host. And so as you know, people start returning into the party that we talked about before because of this one person, you know, as, as a group, the host pours out his generosity on them by allowing them to experience it, to, to say, hey, why don't, why don't you choose some music? Hey, what food do you guys want? I'll bring it out. No, no problem. Anything's on the table. And then as these people start to believe, what he does is he does something radical. The host grabs a tray and says, all right, guys, let's all grab food. Let's go out to the chaos outside. And allow them to experience the generosity. It's the host's generosity that's being expressed, but he's allowing the other people to participate in it. And then they go out, and the chaos starts to calm down as people see, oh, there's food, let's let's take. Let's enjoy, let's embrace. God is on a mission to return the world to a true understanding of who he is. A God of love, a God of generosity. And in the midst of times like this, it can be really easy to, 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 to see the opposite. You know, why has God allowed a pandemic to go across the whole world? Why is there so much death, so much suffering, so much poverty in the world around us? If God really is good, why does it always seem like he isn't? What we read in this Bible is that God's answer to the suffering in the world around us is to use those who are faithful to him to to alleviate it bit by bit. 
in Jesus, he paid the ultimate price. And what we're going to do next week is look at the ultimate gift that God gives us. But what he invites us into as, as followers of Jesus is to make a commitment to sharing that free gift of salvation, to allowing him to work through us, to see the world differently, to be in the world differently, to be generous, to give first, not to take, but to give, to be reflectors of his character. And so I ask you, what would it look like if you applied this to your life today? What might it look like if you saw the world differently and you interacted with it differently? Would it change the way you, 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 you interact with your family in the week ahead? Would it change the way you interacted with your colleagues at work, whether it's in person or over Zoom? Would it change your response to the homeless person that you walk past on the street? Would it change the amount that you type in when you're giving online? What would change if you were to apply this generosity mentality in a new way this week? God is a God of love. He is a God of generosity and he invites us to experience it and to embrace it to the full. Not selfishly, but to bring us to a point where we're made new and where we ask God to use us to reach those around us, to use us to meet the needs, to open our eyes to what he wants us to do next, to see the pain and the suffering around us and bit by bit, day by day, moment by moment, generously, Allow God to work through us to alleviate that suffering. And if you want to join me on this journey, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me now. It's a prayer of commitment. And it's a prayer where we ask God to use us, to use what he's given us to bless others. If you want to join me in this journey, then pray with me now. Dear Jesus, thank you for the love you've displayed to me. Thank you for being generous to me. Help me to see the needs in the world around me. Give me a heart to start meeting them. Provide what I need to help others. Use me, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.